Project Sapient is a podcast meant to engage our brothers and sisters in the law enforcement and military communities in conversations that we all know we need to have. All opinions you'll hear are our own, are protected by our First Amendment of the United States Constitution, and in no way reflect or are meant to reflect the opinion of any specific agency, officer, or service member. Some opinions may be controversial. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. Amen. Well, why did you say it like that? I'm saying amen. You oh. got a fucking problem, dude? <laughs> Are we doing this shit again? Why not? Uh, Project see. Sapient, guys. What did you want to yell at me about? Go ahead. Uh, Go ahead, just, yell. You know what? Whatever. <laughs> say your piece. <laughs> guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. Tens of thousands of listeners across the country, all over the world, too. Uh, we love you. Thank you so much. Get on our YouTube channel and subscribe. We want to thank our supporters, HavocJournal.com, JimJunkies.com, VectorShields.com, WellnessForWarriors.live. We love those ladies. LiveBoston617.org, EagleEyeFirearmsMA.com, ODKit.com, GunTrack.app, Hule-Law.com. We love you. Thank you so much for making us the number one law enforcement and military podcast on the planet. Ivan. Yo. We have a very, very exciting person on the phone. Yes, we do. And uh, tell me a little bit about him without giving him away. Let's keep everybody in suspense. Okay. So he is somebody I just sort of uh, stumbled upon when I was surfing the interwebs. Jesus to, Christ. Uh, Turn your phone to, off. Uh, <laughs> that's, listen, when cops send messages, it's like it blows up. Sage. But, anyways, so I, uh, while surfing the interwebs one day, mm-hmm. I uh, went, I think, yeah, you know, through Facebook and, uh, uh, fell upon his page, and it was actually really cool. So he did an open uh, letter post to uh, LeBron James, mm-hmm. which we did do an episode about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was uh, one of our midweek roll calls. You know what I just realized? What's that? How fucking stupid I am sometimes. Wow. I'm saying we're going to surprise everybody. Yeah. There's going to be an, a title to the fucking... <laughs> Dumbass. Let's uh, just get him on the phone. Yeah, let's get him. <laughs> Officer Dion Joseph, are you there, sir? Hey, what's going on, guys? There he is. How you doing, brother? I'm um, hanging in there, man. I'm still above ground in the month of living, so I can't complain. Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that. You're So you're in California? Yes, I am. Tell me a little bit about, so I obviously know from your Facebook page and everything, tell me about you know what you're doing right now, your active law enforcement. T- tell us anything you want our listeners to hear. Well, I'm an active law enforcement officer, 25 years, 23 of those years spent in Skid Row uh, as a patrol officer, training officer, undercover, which was very interesting. Yeah. And now for the past 15, 16 years as a lead officer in charge of their safety, uh, put together programs to help them get housed, uh, educate women about domestic violence, sexual assault, uh, mentor children. And now I'm kind of uh, somewhat of an activist for people trying to solve homelessness in a responsible way. Not this ridiculous hands-off, you know, yep. pat them on the head, let them do whatever they want to do situation. So we're, I'm trying to wake people up to the reality and everything that's happening right now in my state regarding homelessness, I predicted in 2007. So uh, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. And uh, I do public speaking. I do motivational speaking. I go talk to departments about community policing, talk to city agencies about homelessness so they don't make the same mistakes that uh, we did out here in Southern California. Uh, this that's pretty much me in a nutshell. And just nice. now, my whole my whole bag right now is standing up for cops. For years, I stood up for homeless people who couldn't stand up for themselves. But right now, cops are getting it bad, and it's not fair 
the freaking brush that we're being painted with. So now I have to stand up for the honorable rule of 800,000 men and women who stand up there, go out every day and protect people. Amen to that brother. So you got, you got a couple of things going on, a couple of things going on online. So DionJoseph.org, um, OFCR, Dion Joseph on uh, Twitter. Did we say Yeah, Twitter on Twitter? Twitter. Facebook, you got a huge following. So first of all, we want to say thank you for what you do, uh, being a voice out there for, for a lot of reasons. Um, I've been a cop for almost 20 years now. I has been just about the same. Yep. And we have seen on the East Coast a tremendous difference in our lives in policing from day one until now. It's been a complete 180 almost. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. So, Definitely. so, uh, one, uh, Dion, so, so, uh, one of your posts really stood out to me and it was kind of your reason why, why did you become a cop? Oh yeah. So, so can you, right. can you go into kind of your history and that led up to what you do now? Well, the truth is I never wanted to be a cop. Uh, that was the last thing on my mind being a young African-American male and I was being indoctrinated like many and I use the term indoctrinated strongly because if there's a steady indoctrination going on in the African-American community, it's been going on for about 40 or, or 50 years as, as it relates to law enforcement and the country. And uh, I was indoctrinated to hate, fear, and loathe law, law enforcement. Now, the only reason why I never feared law enforcement is because my father told me to fear no, uh, nothing but God. So, right. uh, so that's probably what kept me safe uh, during traffic stops and things that an injury. I just didn't have that fear. But uh, because of the rap groups I listened to, NWA, Public Enemy, KRS-One, all of them telling me the police are bad. I remember in high school joining an activist group. Initially, the group was supposed to be talking about the history of black folks beyond slavery and then our achievements after slavery. And then, of course, it turned woke when we got a leader who was from the Nation of Islam. Mm -hmm. And then he started introducing some of the things that we're hearing today. Like critical race theory is not new. It's just repackaged, rebranded, and uh, and and, and repushed. Yeah, it's being pushed now. So uh, back in the day, people would have laughed at people for what they're trying to push on our kids and on society right now. But back then, we were hearing the same things, and it was starting to slowly work. Anyway, so he was telling us things like the white man was the devil, that the Americans was racist, that police were out to get us, and I'll never forget. One day, uh, we were having one of our what I call indoctrination sessions, and. We, he said, oh, okay, we're all going to talk about what the police have done to you or your family or whatever. So we went around a table, and I knew these guys. These were good, young, black men, never been in trouble with the law. Their grades were decent. But all of a sudden, everybody kept coming up with a story. So what I noticed was the stories kept getting better. You ever heard of the term toppers? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. I, 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 I noticed that every guy at the table was coming up with a topper, and it was younger to me, and I'm not going to lie. I was coming up with my topper because these are my friends, and I would have looked good, right? So yeah, I got pulled got over by six cops, and I got pulled over by nine <laughs> yeah. cops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so I, got to my, I got to one of my friends next to me on my left, and they go, well, what happened to you? And he stuttered. He goes, uh, uh, um, um, every day I step outside of the house, I get harassed by the police. And I looked at him and was like, your mama doesn't even let you out the house. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? We, we can't even get you to come play basketball. I mean, what the heck's going on? <laughs> so that's when I wrote, at that moment, I realized what was happening to me. And I was being a doctor. And I stayed with the group for a little while, but after a while, the group fizzled out and I walked away from it. And then the next level was college. Of course, college is the hotbed for indoctrination absolutely you know? oh my god yes was i just and not I sending joined... you articles the other day about yeah. what what's going on no, in fucking yeah. no, college and all that even today i know oh no it's, it's dangerous what's happening today uh it's imbalanced and some 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 were legislatively you got to change it to where it's balanced but anyway 
I was at a, I joined the Black Student Union, and it was more of the same. Here are young men and women who I knew who had mothers, fathers. They were doing good. They were smart kids, and all of a sudden, I felt like I was feeling 400 years of oppression just being in there for uh, two months. So finally, prior to that, my grades started slipping. Oof. And uh, I was the first kid in my family to bring home Fs. My oh, brother wow. was super smart. My oldest brother was smart. My sister was a straight-A student. But because I didn't want to learn the white man's math, the white man's English, the white man's this, and the white man wasn't going to let me be anything anyway, I brought home three Fs. Now, my father, he found out about this. My mother, I was the first time I ever saw my mom cry. <laughs> and uh, my mom was a tough woman, and she's on a porch crying, and the only thing she said to me was the words nobody wants to hear. Wait till your father gets home, right? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Dude, my- that's the worst <laughs> phrase for any, <laughs> anyone. That- it just brought back so many memories for me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, fathers are so needed, I can tell you that. But I'm sitting in my room waiting for my dad, and I hear a Cadillac pull up and the big keys, and I'm hearing him stomping into the living room, and my mom, I see through the key peephole, uh, her pointing to my room, and I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. You're writing out your will. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he comes in the room, and his sister balled up, and I know my dad's mad because his eyes literally would change colors from green to brown. <laughs> so his brown eyes, brown eyes are staring at me, right? His Fuck. sister balled up. All he could say was, stay your ass in this room until the game is over, because he, he's a big Laker fan. So yeah. he went to watch the Lakers, and thank God Magic Johnson won. They beat the Houston Rockets, so the Magic Johnson would love. Thank you. He came into my room, and he was calmer. And he sat next to my bed, and I looked in his eyes, looking for the color, but there were tears. Oh, man. And I said, Dad, what's wrong? I said, Dad, what's wrong? He said, son, you have no idea what I went through to get our family where we are today. I said, what are you talking about? And this was the first time this man told me about living in the Jim Crow South, the hell they went through, not only being uh, uh, poverty-stricken, in extreme ways, but also having tangible, palpable, cross-burning, you can't walk on the sidewalk, you yep. sit in the back of the bus, racism. And he told me about how his great-grandfather was murdered by a 16-year-old white kid, you know, because he wouldn't get in the street. And all these stories, now you would think, you know, I'm like sitting here listening going, oh, wow, instead I'm getting high stuff. I'm like, yes, this validates everything my group was telling me. Right. And then he says, then he says, but stop it, you know. You're in a you're in an era where you can be anything you want to be. Have you ever? I'm a successful businessman, son. Have you ever seen me bring up the white man? And I said, Well, no, Dad. I said prior. He said prior to you joining that group, did you believe you could be a scientist or a great writer? I said, uh, Yeah. He said, Dion, you won a poetry contest and beat out adults yeah. when you were in the sixth grade. <laughs> and I said, Wow. He said, Now there's nothing stopping you from going to a library and getting your learning. If I could make it in extreme poverty, there's nothing stopping you. And what my dad did that day, he freed me. But I still had those negative beliefs about the police. So oh. what happened was uh, I ended up, We my dad uh, bought the first black-owned shopping center in the city of Long Beach. And it was a beautiful thing. We were empowering people. We were employing people. And then after the riot, it crashed. So nobody was hiring blacks to do anything because of the riot. And I was out of work for four months, and I put mine in in so many hats, brothers. I was like, man, nobody would hire me. Nobody. And finally, my uncle, who was a cop, uh, and a friend of mine says, hey, this police department's hiring. They're taking everybody right now. If you need a job for a little bit, you know, why don't you join that? I was like, that what? That department? The Rodney King department? Oh, hell no. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I was like, "Uh uh-uh, that's not happening. But then I met this beautiful woman, my my wife, uh, Tasha Joseph, and she, I wanted to be the best provider in the world. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and take a chance, throw my name in the hat. 
and I'm going to do the job for two or three years to save money, but then I'm going to get the hell out of there. Yep. I ended up discovering that 90% of what was being told to me about police officers was completely false. I was in the police academy waiting for one of my instructors to call me the N-word, yep. waiting for one of them to point to a picture of a black man saying that this was our primary target. We need to get them all. In fact, and you guys probably understand if you have more than 20 years on, we learn more about human relations in Spanish than how to keep get our heads from being blown off of our shoulders. Yeah. yeah. And I was yeah, and I was surprised. I was totally surprised that they were open to hearing what I had to say about police and African American relations. And then I graduated the academy, went to Venice Beach, and once again I worked with white officers, black officers, Hispanic officers, gay officers, and man, these people were incredible. Yep. Not one racist in the bunch. At least if they were racist, they hit it for me really, really well. But these are great people from <laughs> I, all walks. I got to tell you, it's it's refreshing hearing it. It's refreshing hearing it, Dion. Like, it's hearing it from the West Coast. Because before we even started doing a lot of these shows, I never knew a lot of officers on the West Coast. And, I mean, we, we'd have some kind of working relationships here and there, but we never got too deep into things. We never got into, you know, too friendly. I, I've known my entire career, right, that there has been a few shitheads on our job. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. the one thing that I realized, even on the East Coast, you know, super, super liberal East Coast, the one thing that I realized was that we weren't going to tolerate it. And if you were a shithead, we were going to get you out. Mm-hmm. You know, like like you said, Dion, I'm working with black guys, white guys, Asian. It doesn't matter. We're all part of the same team. I'm Greek. Mm-hmm. OK, mm-hmm. my last mm-hmm. name is very long and it's very unique. And mm-hmm. I sometimes walk in and I'm like, I'm a real minority here. <laughs> there's <laughs> there, there's like 3,000 police officers where I work, and there's two of us. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're a minority. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, but I've never felt that way. I've never felt that way. Policing. So go on. I yeah. cut you off. Go on. I'm sorry. What I tell people about policing is this, when I'm talking to citizens or young recruits and all this stuff. I say, look, police police officers are nothing more than a microcosm of society. And I love it when I talk to college kids or when I was once able to. Uh, I, I would say, okay, all these woke college kids, let me tell you, uh, we're, in, we're a microcosm of society. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys believe that the vast majority of Americans, whether they're white, black, gay, straight, transgender, whatever, Muslim, Christian, atheist, devil worshiper, are decent people for the most part? And everybody raised their hand. Right. And, I, and, the, one, and the one that didn't, I said, hey, get off social media. And step outside, right? Yep. Get a life, yeah, exactly. Right? And then I asked him another question. I said, how many of you guys believe there's a small negative exception in America that's wilding out, that's getting all the attention, that the media is focusing on to make us think the world is a rolling dumpster fire in the drive for us? <laughs> and everybody raised their hand. They agreed. They agreed mm-hmm. that there's a negative exception and an honorable rule. I said, where do law enforcement agencies recruit from? The American public. Exactly. So the most part, we're going to end up with decent people, but of course there's going to be racists that can come on the job. Of course there's going to be brutes, but it's it's not the bads that corrupted them. There was something wrong with them before they came on the job. A hundred percent. Exactly. Absolutely. If you were corrupt, this is what my uncle told me. He says, Dion, you're worried about being a police officer. He says, if you go or get on the job and do something corrupt, you were corrupt anyway. If you go out there and hurt somebody, you were you were an asshole anyway. And that made sense to me. He validated. He said, I can be a good cop. And most of the cops that I dealt with were good cops. They really are. They really are. 
we weeded a lot of people out over these last 20 years, right? Collectively as a police, as a policing like unit across the country, let's say, yeah, yeah. you know, we've grown tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. Times have Absolutely. changed. The, the, the crimes have changed. Yeah. People are dealing with each other differently. I think we've done a bang up fucking job as police officers, maintaining the line, holding the line and maintaining that order and chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, if, I, I was talking to this idiot the other day and one of these elites, right? These guys with PhDs and MDs behind their name. Yeah. But you're, you ever heard of the term educated fools? Yes. Oh, yeah. Who's more dangerous? Who's more dangerous? A fool or educated fool? An educated fool because yeah. they have the power to mislead the masses. Yeah. So I was talking to an educated fool one day. And he says, well, you, you, you keep talking high and mighty about police officers that you guys make them say police officers kill 1,098 individuals in one year. I'm like, okay, uh, what, what does that mean? Goes, well, that's a lot of people. Well, duh, it sounds like a lot to keep emphasizing on, but let me tell you something, sir. In the United States of America, there are 330 million people. Yep. And out of that 330 million people, there are 800,000 men and women who police them. Now, those 800,000 men and women made 375 million police contacts. Out of those contacts, they only shot, or uh, killed 1,098 people. Put that in the calculator, sir. Yep. That's point zero 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 zero. <laughs> you have a point zero 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 three percent chance. Oh, my God. Of being killed it, by let, me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you, we put out a video maybe three weeks ago yeah, three called weeks ago. it's 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 called Enough. And I think, I mean, did you put it on Instagram? Yes. So it's on Instagram. And I, I recorded it. And I literally say exactly what you just said. It's like point zero 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 six. Yeah. And it's yeah, like, yeah. name me exactly. one other profession that has those kinds of numbers. Like, wake the, f- and, yeah. like, wake up. <laughs> well, he's, and then he, they go, yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. go ahead, Dean. Sorry, cut you off. Then they go and compare us to, this idiot went on to compare me to us to Norway. Well, Norway doesn't kill anybody. <laughs> Denmark doesn't kill anybody. <laughs> so let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, bro. In those societies, they're homogenous. Where yes. most of the people, of the same ethnic background, they're going to sometimes have the same features, same political beliefs, some religious beliefs, same idea. I mean, it's not to say they don't have jerks in Norway and a, a negative exception, yep. but like one Norway officer told me when I took him on a Skid Row tour, he says, we have nice gangs out there. And he also said this, he said, there's no way we would police an American street without a gun because Thanks. the people here seem to not have a lack of respect for just basic law. It's, well, so I can't, Think about it this way, right? Okay, so I'm from, I was born here, but my background is from Greece. I see a vast distinction, a vast difference in how things are policed there. You see mm-hmm. how things are policed in Lebanon. Well, yeah. So so <laughs> for me, it was, I was born in Africa, in, in Monrovia, Liberia. I've seen what police do down there. Right. Uh, it's, it's mayhem uh, in terms of law and order. And then, you know, my family's from Lebanon, went to Lebanon. Uh, same thing. You don't trust the police there. You don't trust the police. You absolutely don't trust the police in Africa because right. you got to pay your way to, to right. get out of jail or, or whatever. And, uh, yeah. and coming to the U.S., it was different. I was like, oh. Are these guys really nice? Yeah. Yeah, they'll <laughs> give me a ride? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah, big difference for, for, for me. Part, yeah. yeah. For the most part, they're not going to go uh, run through your pockets. Uh, right. Yeah, oh, yeah. I tell people, just like, just like, just like Japan, it's like Japan, 94%, 98% of that population is Japanese. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful people. Only the other 2% are Korean and Chinese. So you got, what you have there is a homogenous society. And then those folks from birth, you know, and I saw this great documentary, uh, where they're taught to be polite and have manners. Right. Birth. From, so from birth. 
people when you see people in a uh, getting into a subway packed in like sardines in Japan, nobody's fighting, nobody's stabbing each other. Flash to New York. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, right. It's, it's, a, it's the polar opposite. So what I tell people is, for us in a melting pot, a beautiful melting pot, because I love diversity, I support diversity, and I think wherever people come from in America, the vast majority of them are wonderful human beings. But those people are going to come over across this country with their rivalries with other nations, their strong religious beliefs. Uh, you know, look, you just had folks in New York getting attacked by people from Palestine because yeah. of what's happening across the water. Right. Yeah. You know, and, once, and and that's not demonizing all Palestinian people. I'm just giving an example yep. of how deep-seated these values that we hold, and we live in a free country. And when you live in a free country, which is the greatest show on earth, America, yes, we can stand to evolve still, but we're still the greatest show on earth. But when you live in a free country, you tend to have people who step across and take advantage, take advantage. of freedom. Yep. And, oh, that, and yeah. that's what we're dealing with. The negative exception in Norway is, is probably going to be what? 12 people? The negative exception <laughs> in a country of 300, 330 million people is going to be in the tens of thousands, if not the low millions. So please don't compare us to Norway anymore. Yeah, stop yeah. That, stop no, that, that, that's, what, that's what people got to stop. I mean, I'll never forget this uh, one T-shirt. I think, was it during either Ferguson or George Floyd, where it's the guy was wearing this T-shirt said, I'd rather be policed by the Taliban. Are you serious? I, I will never forget that T-shirt, and I'm like, dude, they'll you- cut you in half. <laughs> That's what I mean. I'm like, you do not want the Taliban in America, you know. So, so it's like well, I've yeah. I've seen again, you know, from my part of the world, I've seen the extremes of of what happens when there truly isn't any sort of honor or or any sort of integrity or or selfless service in a profession mm-hmm. versus you come here. I mean, I joined the military when I was 20 and at 20 right. years old, I went into the army and that's the most diverse group of soldiers I've ever right. seen where you can stand in a platoon of soldiers and it will be everything black, white, Asian, uh, gay, lesbian, like whatever. But we're all there. We all mission oriented, mission oriented. We're all there. We all carry each other. We all watch each other's backs, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not as in, yeah, hide dirty stuff. No, I mean like legit. If my life's in danger, my brothers and sisters are going to be there. I found it to be, identical as in the policing profession where yeah. where you can go anywhere in the country in the u.s the minute you say hey you know i'm the tin man <laughs> right yeah, you're yeah. you're all of a sudden welcomed as uh, as another human being you know and it's, oh, it's an amazing absolutely. brotherhood and sisterhood no absolutely and uh, the funny thing i was talking to a great uh, gentleman recently from uh, he he did a stint in croatia and he says beyond where here's the problem with america uh he says Look, when I was in the war in Croatia, that we were dealing with that. He says, when we're arm in arm, brother to brother, defending each other, running around landmines, taking rockets, taking bullets, not not one person in our unit complained about anything, because their focus was get home, win this battle, yep. and on to the next. He says, as soon as we finally got those sandbags up and things were relatively safe, he says, all of a sudden, we started hearing complaining. Mm-hmm. And that's what America is. You're in a great place. You're in a free country. You're in a country that, look, in spite of some challenges, you can be anything you want to be. Uh, just ask my father. You know, that's just literally. Right. Uh, but but when you have so much, sometimes you take it for granted. And when you like that guy with the T-shirt you were talking about, you become really spoiled. And <laughs> yeah. but once again, but that, that, that comes from right now the biggest place and toxic, most toxic place 
for this country is now college campuses. All right, I, you and, know, and, uh, yeah, no, sorry, I was uh, just about to say, go ahead, Dion. No, I'm sorry, but no, but college campuses where two years ago, I was one of the most highly sought after guys to go to college campuses. I gave Skid Row tours to 3,500 college students and their professors, and the professors would bring them there to challenge me on my views, and I erased two semesters of indoctrination in a span of two and a half hours. Yep. They had more questions for the professor than they had for me because I was able to fill in those blanks. Yep. Well, now what they've done, this whole anti-police, anti-everything movement is, you've taken away the microphone from the other side to where now they're only getting a one-sided education. And I strongly believe that in order for us to reverse the course that we're going in this country, there has to be literally legislation to say there must be balance in education you know, there there has to be, or we're just going to have a bunch of mindless crybabies, and that's not what this country is about. That's that's the thing. Like when when I was in college and I took um, in criminal justice, I took this racial profiling class. Probably it should have been a great class, but this professor indoctrination, like you said. Now the way he was teaching it, so he would challenge me. He knew I was a cop, so he would con con consistently challenge me, and he would lose nearly every single time because, yeah. you know, he gave me an example. He's like, I'm in. I, I want to give this example, and I really want you to think about it. I'm like, all right, go ahead. Mm -hmm. He says, all right, so a robbery happens, and the description's put out, you know, Hispanic male wearing a white shirt, blue jeans. I'm like, all right. Mm -hmm. He's like, so what do you do? I'm like, I go look for a Hispanic male with white shirt, blue jeans. Right. He's like, that's racial profiling. I goes, no, that's not. How is that racial profiling? I was like, that is not. I was like, do you even know what racial profiling is? You know what I tell people is? all the time? There's a big difference between what you think racial profiling is yes. and behavioral profiling. Well, that's the thing. Like me as a kid growing up in the U.S., yeah. Have I met my share of uh, not so good cops? Absolutely. Have I been stopped yeah. because of the color of my skin? Probably because I'm, I was always the type that made sure I went home because if my, if I, if my dad got home before I got home he was going to put me through a wall right <laughs> so yeah. it was it was like yeah. a very strict yeah. household so so but that never that didn't affect my views uh, overall on on everybody because early on I understood because I had to deal with racism with doctors I had to deal with racism with freaking uh, all, all sure. sorts of different exactly so so to me racism is in every profession and I'm not it, it, oh, it's, yeah. it's like if, if you really want to look at racism you will see it in every profession I tell people why are you guys only focused on police yeah. well they're, they're trying to make us the catalyst or the springboard for everything racist that ever, ever happened in this country and that's a bunch of crap but, you know, okay, you want to talk about police killing people. Let's talk about doctors. In one year, doctors kill 250,000 people. Malpractice. Mal malpractice, accident, and misdiagnosis. Why aren't we oh, focusing yeah. on that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Most of the people they kill were people of color. No focus. Yeah. Then they go, then I deal with, then I talk about teachers and military. Here's why. Because these are groups that have people's minds and lives in their hands, as well as police officers, too. Yep. Uh, te teachers, look, I think the profession of teaching is a wonderful thing. Uh, most teachers are great. I still send my kids to school. But every week we see a teacher who's sleeping with somebody's 16-year-old daughter yeah. or yeah. another teacher who's, yeah. who slips to 28 first graders or feeds a bunch of uh, seven-year-olds his bodily excrement during class. Yep. And nobody's talking about defunding teachers and people are still sending their kids to school. And the same thing with the military. I love anybody who puts on a uniform to go defend our country. I, but they, let's not pretend that there have been horrible catastrophes done uh, by the negative exception of military personnel. Oh, yeah. So I said, so if you're going to go after cops, you have to go after everybody. everybody. But I'll if you don't go after everybody, basically what you're doing is what Adolf Hitler did. Oh, yeah. Here's exactly. Adolf Hitler. 
Exactly. Adolf Hitler said this. He literally said this. And, uh, and when I say this, when I speak about Adolf Hitler, we know he's the most evil man in the 20th right. century. Right. We know he's a bastard. We know he's in hell where he belongs. So I'm not giving him a compliment. But what, one thing about Dr. Uh, not Dr. Hitler is he was smart. He was very Hitler smart. Under, un, Hitler understood human nature like no one of his day. He knew that you could bring people together for a cause using hate and vitriol faster there than you could with love and understanding. Yes. And if you want to know how difficult it is to bring people together with love and understanding, ask Gandhi and Dr. Lamar, Dr. Martin Luther King. Oh, you can't. They're dead. Exactly. They Their lives got short. Cut. Murdered. That's what Hitler said. Hitler said this. He said, tell a lie, keep it simple, and repeat it over and over again until everybody believes it. Exactly. Like he said, tell a lie once, tell a crazy lie once. Nobody's going to believe you. You tell that same lie 1,000 times, everybody's going to believe you. And how does that, and people have been using this same method, methodology. Yeah, now, once again, you know, Hitler ended up killing 10 million human beings. Right. Now, I'm not saying these anti police activists are going to kill 10 million human beings, but they're using the same strategy to where when I was a young black male in the 70s, late 70s, 80s, and 90s, what was the mantra? All blacks are criminals. Yep. So, yes, I was racially profiled. Yes, I, I'd be in an elevator, some old lady would clutch her purse, or be followed at some store when I was shopping because of that lie. Then you have the lie currently. All police hate people of color. Police officers are, are racist because they work in a system of systemic racism. So even if they aren't racist, they're racist by default because they work in that system. And you keep telling that lie to these young, impressionable minds who want to change the world. They're not going to know? know any better. They're not going to know any better. And then when they get out in the real world, they're going to say things like their teacher said that that's racial profiling. No, that's not racial profiling. No. Racial profiling is if I stop somebody based solely on the color of their skin. That is my my personal probable cause, is that you're black, you're walking in this neighborhood, I need to stop you and search you. That's, that's racial profiling. Exactly, exactly. And, what, and, you, what, you just, what you described is criminal profiling. Exactly. And common sense. Exactly. And, and, and that's what I told him, and he hated, hated it, that... I like I it was a straight argument between me and him for the whole class, which I'm like, you're taking away the educate the proper education of these young right. students that don't know any mm -hmm. better and you're focusing it on me because you just don't like my profession and I don't know why you're teaching this class. I don't know that I don't know why you're teaching this class. Right. You shouldn't be you teaching shouldn't this be. class. That's the problem. As, as, so so again, uh, I I 110% agree with you on that. In colleges, that's where that's where it's beginning or or that's where the, it's always the been. mind it's in been college is the most impressionable after your theta brain state when you're a kid. So so here's yeah. I don't know Dan, you probably know of this because this happened in California. So this is uh back in 1967, uh an experiment was done at uh, school in California, I don't remember if it was a high school or college where the teacher um, got the basically by the end of the semester, all the kids were Nazis. <laughs> by the end of the experiment, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called it's called the third wave. It's called the third wave. I've it heard was, of this. It was it, it was an amazing. So what it was, they were doing Nazi history, and all the students were like, "Oh, how, Nazi youth, and how the hell did he, I would never do this? I would never do that." So the teacher was just listening, and he's like, "Okay." Hey guys, I got an experiment for you next week. Yeah. Wait until next Monday, you know, come here and we'll we'll start. And it started off with assigned seats. From assigned seats by the end of the semester, Dion, I shit you not. They were ratting each other out. They became different factions. Yep. They started to hate the normal students because they felt mm -hmm. they were superior. It just shows you how impressionable <laughs> but people are. The teacher got in so much trouble. 
And I think he ended up getting fired because because he did that. Well, because he did that. But to me, that was a great social experiment to show how easy it is to manipulate somebody. I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, college is a is a very vulnerable time, especially if you go away to college. You're away from your family. You're away from the people who've been telling you the truth all your life. Right. Uh, So now now you're a vulnerable. You're pretty much alone. You got to fit in, and also you're trying to learn, and also you got to pass. You know, you got some of these kids who won't even get to pass if they don't just bow down to what the professor is saying to you. So, yep. so these, these are critical things that have to change. And once again, before this whole uh, George Floyd uh, nightmare happened, like I said, I was talking to college kids all the time. And I love, one of my favorite things was, was to make them answer the question. I wouldn't answer the question. I would say, is this racial profiling or criminal profiling? And you had a whole bunch of white kids saying, uh, criminal profiling <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, and i didn't i didn't guide them to the thought i just told them this is what it is right now what's your answer and even their professor was in the back turning beat red had to nod his head i even took some ucla professors out uh, on a skid row tour and they were just they, they stopped trying to teach me and then became students that was the most incredible thing wow. and that's why they don't want people like that's why they don't want people like you and me talking anymore because we're actually making sense well, and and, yeah. and right, that's just where we are. Today. And it's empowering it's really people. It's empowering people to wake up. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody stop me or text me or email us and be like, hey, thank you for you guys and what you're saying. You know, I've always believed this stuff. I've always known it. And now you're 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 being the voice for it. It's the same thing with you, Dion. It's 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 refreshing to hear it with people that have platforms. Yeah, and that's why I say as police officers and every police officer out there listening to me right now, now is the time more than ever for yep. you to speak up and be educators. Don't wait until it hits the fan anymore. You get on your social media page and you challenge people with facts. It's speak time up. for us to start speaking up. Speak up. You know, of course you can't be on social media with your badge and your uniform saying I'm from, you know, Huxville right. PD and whoop, whoop, whoop. But you're an American citizen. You have the right to, to challenge these racial narratives like I used to do all the time and I'm going to continue to do like what for one instance, I work with the homeless. And of course the whole narrative was that we were cleaning up skid row because the people there were black and that they were homeless. So we were basically rousing people because they were homeless. So finally one day in 2006 at a meeting where I had a whole bunch of activists and all these elites there, I got pissed off and I finally stood up and I pulled up a map that I had just looked at prior to going to the meeting of, of the crime for of the month of October. And I put the map on the screen and I said, okay, I'm going to point at you. You're going to be my example, sir. You're looking at this map. Now in the North part, that's Chinatown. All you see is white on the map. You see a few dots, a couple of car, car break-ins. On the South, you see a couple of thefts. You know, you see some uh, uh, car break-ins from the Grand Theft Autos. West side, you don't see anything. And the far East side, just a bunch of lofties sitting there smoking pot and paint, right? But right there in the center of this 4.5-mile piece of territory that we police, as you can see, there's so much crime that you can't even see the whites of the map. Now, sir, I'm going to deputize you as chief so-and-so of my police department. No, as captain so-and-so. And you're at our comp stat where we hold your feet to the fire. Because I want to give you resources to deal with it. Because that area is accounting for 50% of all your violent crime. It's data. Sir, it's so black and white. Here it is. Yeah, yeah. So, sir, if you want to keep your bars, please, please point to where you would put your resources. And this man, who is anti-police, pointed to Skid Row. And then I turned I flipped the script. I changed uniform. I said, okay, now I'm a writer with the Times. You know 80% of the population is black. 
why are you uh, persecuting black people? I said, is that the reason why you put those resources there? And he starts he start stuttering. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. I flip it again. I said, okay, 60% of the people here struggle with mental illness. Why are you criminalizing people for being mentally ill? That wasn't my intention. Yeah, It's not ours either, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> this is real life. This is real life. Yeah. It's not this It's not this dramatized, sexy like narrative that you have. This is real life. I always say it all the time, yeah. right? I think the problem in this yeah. country, I hate saying it this way, but I think the biggest problem that we've had in this country is that our generation you know, from the 60s and on, hasn't really experienced pain. We haven't no. really experienced no, a lot no, of no. pain. Oh, no, no. I mean, I've, you're, you're so we, right. we, we, like, again, you know, coming from, from my neck of my world, it's, it's right. you know, overseas. I've seen artillery hit the side of cliffs when I was like six years old, seven years old. Right. In Africa, when the Civil War broke out there, um, I, I saw soldiers get blown up by grenades and, and, and it's, even when I went to war, you know, you know, think of future time when, when I actually went to war in Iraq, where people were were going to to uh, vote, and they were scared of getting killed and because the soldier up. was sitting there fucking staring at them. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, and yeah. and it's it's unbelievable that that people don't realize that that you know they don't know again they're spoiled they don't know how yeah. well, well we have what it, it is is people have short term memories like they don't remember the bad old days like. Uh, like these millennials and this Generation Z, they don't remember when New York and California and L.A. were like, uh, you know, Dante's Inferno. They don't yeah. remember when black men were being shot dead in the street just for wearing a raw pair of shoes. They don't remember uh, how we were on pace to lose 129,000 black people, period. Uh, that's, that's, that's the pace we were on in the 80s and 90s. That's how bad things were, which prompted the crime bill that they call racist that was created by the president right? yeah. so, so the current president but they don't remember that so of course these kids don't get it when someone like you or me says you don't want to vote for this proposition you can't take a hands-off approach of policing no. we're not here because of racism because of data and if the data doesn't match up all of a sudden that data becomes racist because it doesn't match up to what mm-hmm. they're or you're manipulating it so so, so that's the problem we have today, and but we're going right back to that. So they're gonna, they're, if they didn't know before, they're gonna know very, very shortly, and it's already happening mm-hmm. all across this country. Murders mm-hmm. are up. There's a sense of lawlessness, and not, not, not the bad thing is not only that crime is up, but police recruitment is down, and also officers are retiring by the dozens, if not hundreds, in some departments. Yep. And now the same people crying about racism are like, "Where the hell are our police department, police force?" It's okay, just keep on living. It's about to get worse. It's about to get worse, and I and, I, and we told you so. We tried to tell you. Mm-hmm. We tried to tell you. That's, See, I don't I don't wake up in the morning wanting to take somebody's freedom. That's never been my goal as a police officer. And you're you're talking to an officer who arrested in my younger days, hundreds of gang members, dope dealers, murderers, assault suspects, and, and, and I was glad to do it. In my mind, it was noble because I was trying to give the community relief from the actions of these uh, individuals. So, but my motivation wasn't, oh, aha, I'm taking your freedom because I'm, I'm a proud American. I value freedom. But if you step across that line and you're hurting communities, it's my job to stop you and give the community relief from your activities. How that got spun into I'm systemically racist because, uh, because I have to bean count how many blacks versus whites I arrest now, that's ridiculous. It has Disparity doesn't equal bias. I'm sorry. You know, I love, I'm a proud African-American man. I love my people with all my heart, but yes, I've arrested more black people 
because the community I work is eighty percent black. <laughs> so you what know? are you expecting? You, 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 right. you, you remind me actually of one of my one of my good friends. My uh, I'm not going to say the officer's name, but he works in in the area where I, where I work or used to work. I mean, in the big city, and he used to patrol Dudley Square. Oh, yeah, what's it called now? The tr- uh, oh, uh, they changed the name, but anyway, but Dudley Square. Dudley Square is basically what you described, Dion. Eighty percent, ninety percent African American. Now he he was a white Irish cop, and it's a walking beat, and it is a tough area to work as a walking right. beat officer because it is just gang ridden, crime ridden, you name it. And and he ended up getting indicted to court for you know racial profiling, arresting, whatever. And I and I'll never forget how he told me like when the attorney was was hitting him with questions at court and said, asked him why, you know, uh, you arrested so many black males uh, in that area. Uh, why, why did you do that? So because I work in a predominantly black neighborhood. Yeah, what are you expecting? <laughs> what are you expecting? He said, and then, then, yeah. he, then he made the joke. He said, if a white guy was walking through there, I'll lock his ass up because he doesn't belong there. <laughs> you know, so, so it, but again, it's these false narratives, right? So, so one thing is, um, uh, I, I like reading this quote from time to time uh, by former Minneapolis mayor, uh, Betsy Hodges. And yeah, oh yeah, I know this one. You know this one. So, uh, so she wrote a quick opinion piece piece on the New York Times and and I like how she said it because she it kind of the light bulb went off in her um so she says I remember clearly one officer a middle-aged white man who is now a sergeant in the in the department looking me dead in the eye and cursing me out in front of the entire room I needed to take a walk in their shoes he said peppering his insults with profanity so I could know what it's like he complained of protesters calling us names, getting in our faces, throwing objects at officers, and you're letting them, he said. The fully uh, said bottom line of his message was clear. White liberals like me asked the police to do our dirty work dealing with the racial and economic equi- inequities our policies create, which is 110% on point with what she said. Yep. Um, and, and, and we see it all the time at work, Dion, where... You know, we'll see these politicians up there coming up with these policies that will not make sense to us on the ground. It's not going to work the way mm-hmm. they perceive it or however they, they got there. And it's not like they ever asked the cops, hey, officer, what do you think of this? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a cop that they ask when, it's, when they've messed up. Yeah. They, see, yeah. here I am with more experience than anybody on the issue. Well, like on the issue of homelessness. Yeah. I've been there 23 years. I've literally, as a police officer, put homeless people in housing. I understand the need there. But, of course, it's don't talk to him. He's a cop. Uh, so he's probably going to be jaded. And then when they blow it up and mess it up, who's the person they call? You. Hey, Joseph, can you come to this meeting? Uh, because we need you to find solutions. I gave you the solution in 2007. And you guys ignored it because I'm a quote unquote cop. And you so, yeah. know better. We know better because we're smart. Like, get out of here. Well, well, yeah, exactly. That's the thing, uh, Dion. Uh, we have a strip uh, in our area uh, over at Melnia Cass. It's called Meth- Methadone Mile yeah. now because it's basically Tent City with the homeless. And a f- good friend of mine, he's he's a cop. He was in college in Northeastern at the time and came up. They, their project was to come up with a plan early before it became what it became. And they presented it to the then. Then, uh, mayor and the mayor just kind of blew him off but it was the blueprint on how to fix methadone mile right yeah. and they wouldn't yeah. listen yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's the same thing with me i've told people the things we need to do if we want to end homelessness in a responsible way here's what you do several things a 
You got to change the mental health system. I said this. There's a whole video of me saying this on uh, YouTube. It's got pretty good response. You got to change the mental health. You can no longer think that you're helping somebody who's not only mentally ill, but dual diagnosed in 72 hours or less. And now it's not even 72 hours. You guys know, you take oh, them to a yeah. hospital, they sprinkle, they sprinkle pills on them and ask them if they're feeling better. And of course, because they want to go out and get high again, yep. they say yes. And they yep. push them out and the door. The revolving door. Yep. So it should be six weeks. And here's why. Okay. Okay. It takes, on average, six to eight weeks for them to benefit from the therapeutic attributes of their own prescribed medication. That's a fact. Yep. For them to be stabilized. Yep. Also in that six weeks, you've got to get the stuff out of their system so they can hear you. Okay. And then while you're doing that, you got to streamline the conservative process, conservatorship process, so these families can get control of their loved ones so they don't end up recidivizing. If you do that, that's going to be a third of the problem solved right there. <laughs> yeah. I also said this. Oh, see, and they were surprised that I knew the term uh, 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 attributes uh, of the therapeutic medication. They thought they were surprised <laughs> I knew. <laughs> Is he a doctor? <laughs> do we call him doctor oh, now? Oh, my God. <laughs> he, he, he was. Where did this cop find his $10,000 word? Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> the second thing is, A, you have to decentralize services. I said Skid Row can no longer be ground zero for everything homeless because what you're doing is this. Because it's centered and it's close adjacency to uh, the Inglewood, Watts, Compton, and all these other cities, when these disenfranchised addicts end up coming down to Skid Row for services and they can get nowhere else, guess who's going to follow them? The criminal element. And they're going to be there, and they're going to prey on them. They're going to prey on their dope programs. They're going to kick them out of their low-income supportive housing units. Mm -hmm. And guess what? All you're going to have is a, is a, is a complete bedlam. I say, okay, yep. great. Third thing, third thing you need to do, let us do our damn job. Stop politicizing police work. There's a reason why I arrest drug dealers and drug addicts in front of drug programs. Because those are the people that are making it hard for people trying to beat their addiction. Exactly. If you're, serious about, if you're serious about Skid Row being a recovery zone, which it is because it has 108 programs designed to help people, guess what? You have to make sure that there's zero tolerance for people that will cause somebody to stumble. And I say these things and people's minds are blown. All that came out of this guy? Yeah, but you'd rather listen to some guy with a suit and tie with a PhD bragging about all his uh, freaking uh, awards and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And I'm right here saving people's lives. We, we know better than anybody else who human nature, okay? We, we know human nature. I know there's a guy on Skid Row that when I see him in the morning and he's uh, waving his fist in the air, by the time 4 o'clock comes, he's going to be on our station because he hurt somebody. Yeah. I know yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a mental health clinician is not even going to approach them. So, yes, it is time to bring police back to the table. You may not like us. But guess what? We're probably the only ones telling the truth. Well, here, here's the thing. You know, I always say that that police is a reflection of the society that they police. So so right. if 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 you keep politicizing police and make us out to be the bad guy, guess what's going to oh, happen? It's inevitable. <laughs> it's inevitable that the bad guys are going to love it. Right. And use that to their advantage. Now, yeah. now, we've been in the profession long enough to know that there are really sick, evil people out there that yep. will prey like predators on the weak. We know that. And I always tell people Absolutely. and I always tell people that that, uh, you know, I, I, there, there are different kinds of 
kinds of victims for me. They're the victim of circumstance, you know, that are the drug addicts. They got hooked on drugs early on yep. because they broke their back mm -hmm. or whatever. And, you know, I feel mm -hmm. for them. I try to get them as much help as I can. And, and I agree with you, Dion, that, and I've even said this on the East Coast. Actually, I just did a uh, mental health um, and law enforcement conference. I was actually one of the speakers uh, for about uh, 45 minutes. And I, I, I literally said almost nearly the same exact thing that you said, Dion, where we can't solve this in a 48 to 72 hour hold. Exactly. We, we can't. Nope. I nope. said the mental health, especially after COVID, especially after COVID, has taken such a bad, bad turn. Why are we seeing so many EDPs. suicides, the EDPs now? I mean, they have skyrocketed. And and oh, yeah. it's, it's like, but if for some reason, these politicians, these big guys with the three letters or two letters after their names don't seem to get it because... You know, I, it's I, it's I a think denial phase well, too. I mean, not just denial, but but uh, as a doctor once told me, uh, actually the psychologist told me, he's like, you know what? He's like, I mean, you have the ground view, while the rest of us have the thirty thousand yeah. feet view. Yeah. So you see yeah. what's going yeah. on. We we absolutely do. And here's the thing about politicians now. That's our other big issue now. Politicians who now sound exactly like the crazy activists who wanted to fund us. You know. They want this hands-off approach. They want programs, 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 programs. Let me tell you how crazy this sounds. A police officer gets into a controversial shooting in the heat of the moment. Okay, we also wait for the facts to come out, but most people don't. They don't want to do that now. Right. But what's the call for? Let's arrest him. Let's hang him high. Let's let's put him in jail just to satisfy the mob. Yep. Okay, I remember a 14-year-old young boy was walking down an alley. And while he's walking down the alley minding his own damn business, a carload of gang members pull up next to him asking where he's from. He didn't have the right answer. They, they, pull out a, uh, AK, they pull out an AK-47. And he gets on his knees, and he's in praying position, begging for his life. That's how the police found him, riddled with bullets. But guess what they want for those guys? Programs. That's insane. <laughs> this, this, is, this, is how, this is how insane. When I watch the president speak, and once again, I, I try my best to respect the pre office of the president. Yes, sir. Because, uh, whether it was Obama, Trump, or whoever's in office, I always try to respect that. I don't do any president bashing. Look, I feel like that's unfresh patriotic. But when I heard Biden speak a couple of days on crime and not one mention, not one mention on holding the wolves accountable who caused all the horrors in these streets, far more than a police could ever imagine, <laughs> you know, uh, in, engaging in. Yeah. That's when I said we're going to, it's going to be a long four years. It is. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a long four oh, years. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, one thing on, on the East Coast that uh, my one of my uh, close friends, mm -hmm. uh, who's high-ranking uh, official in, in, a in a large police department, he told me, you know, he's like, think about it. Has any district attorney in this area said anything about the rising crime and, and all that? And I had to think. I was like, oh. you know what? No. They haven't said a word. Oh my God! He said they're oh, we, we, they're strictly sorry? concentrating on police officers, the yeah. individual police officers, rather than thinking about the criminal justice system that needs a overhaul. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we have a DA now that uh, literally has not said one word about victims. His job <laughs> is to advocate for victims of crime. So right now, what we literally have, and this is no exaggeration, are two public defenders, and this this DA George Gascon. He just took a picture with, with the very activists, activists that are responsible for the crime wave that we're facing right now. <laughs> took a picture? One picture. Yeah. Yeah, because he's trying to save his job. Uh, right now we're doing, we have a big <sighs> recall effort against his job. Oh, but he still, in a short time he's been in office, has not taken one photo 
or had one comforting moment for a victim who lost their son. And he just, it's almost like, it's like, it's like we're living in bizarro world. Yeah. I cannot believe it. The here's the thing. I believe, I believe in crime control and I believe in due process, but I believe there should be a balance of the two. When one or the other has too much power, yes, people could get hurt, you know? And so, so when the crime control advocates have it too far, yes, you get a lot of people locked up who maybe need help. But then when you have the due process, what you have is people being left without safety, without public safety. So now what we're seeing is with these new, new district attorneys, they're more due process than they are crime control. And it's killing major cities. And the very people they say they're trying to help, people of color, are the ones suffering the most. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. It's 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 unfortunate. It, it's gone this way. And it's 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 amazing, you know, on, on what you're doing on the West Coast. I'm so glad we were able to connect because yeah. it's kind of, again, we, we are the ones in our profession, as we've said before, just like the ladies at Wellness Boys, where, you know, we were asked, hey, so what can we do? I said, we got to talk. Yeah. We got to uh, We got to get it out there. We got to get it out there. We got to say, you know what? The cops on the ground has have had enough. That's why like, I'm we, in, we need to with our with our out. show, with our show, do you know how many people have been like, "Hey, you might want to tone it down." And I'm like, "Fuck you. I'm yeah. not toning it down." No. We're our gonna, society we can, we is worth it. it. Yeah. 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 See, what it sounds like to me, guys, is that you and me and we care more about victims than the yes. politicians do. Oh, yes. yeah, we absolutely. care more about we act we we literally talking together sound like we care more about saving uh, not just all lives but people of color because that's our main focus, right? What do we do about keeping people of color safe? We're the main ones talking about that. No politician is talking about how to keep people safe from crime. No, nobody. No, because they, you know what? We're the ones. We're the ones who call the coroner's truck. We're the ones who notify the family. We're the ones who have to pick up that dead child who's riddled with exactly. Bullets. We're yeah. the ones who see that, and people don't understand that we do care. Yeah, we do care. Just be, but you got to understand when crime is up, we only have time to show you who we are. Exactly. But if you work with us and get it, uh, show I'm sorry, show what we do. But when it comes down and we work together collaboratively with the community, we can show you who we are. But right now, your children are dying. We don't have time for games. Yeah, exactly. We don't have time for photo ops. Exactly. You know, so exactly. that's what I try to tell people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we got we got real work to do out there. We got real work to do, man. The other thing that, that and and tell me what you feel about this, Dion, is I I mean, I love this country, right? I love that my kids can grow up in the greatest country in the world. I have a, a, a I have a fear that they're not going to grow up the way that I grew up because I grew up fucking really good. I was poor, but I grew up really good. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about mm -hmm. fucking bombs over my head. I didn't, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I was hungry yeah, a few yeah. times, but, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, the one thing that I think people need to realize with these politicians is that we've given them all the power. Yeah. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is that we've deviated from the fact that politicians and these leaders, quote unquote leaders need to realize that the people are unhappy and they need to realize that the people can remove them and that they're there to represent us at our discretion, not to do their will on us. Yeah. 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 Right. And usually when it happens, brother, the community uh, haul them out of there, but now they're happy, unhappy and confused. Yeah, exactly. They, 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 <laughs> they want to stop the crime. They want us, they want us to do our job. But then all of a sudden, they don't want to seem like racist for asking us to do it. So, so we got, if we can get these communities, we have to focus on the, the, the people of, of this country and tell them to put down the confusion. You got to be very clear. Yes. You either want safe streets or you don't. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. The bottom line. Yeah, that's the bottom line. There I, is I no gray. It. There's no. There's no gray area with public safety. We cannot politicize policing. We cannot. No. We cannot. No. 
Well, Dion, this this has been quite a pleasure. It's been, oh my God, it was a great show, and I'm so glad that we connected. And it's just, uh, it's good to know that somebody in the West Coast is yeah, saying man. the same thing. Yeah. Just like Fit Cops down in Texas. Yep. She's bringing stuff out on, on her end. Yep. Us at the East Coast and, and all the other uh, uh, officers that are actually speaking out and, and saying it for what it is. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's what's so important. And that's what we need to always get out there by saying enough. We've had enough. So, Dion, two yeah, things. You got me. You got, go ahead. Two things. Number one, stay on the line after we hang up. But uh, more importantly, in 20, 30 seconds, give us, you got about 10,000 people that are listening to us every month. Let me know what you want to tell them. Go for it. Okay. Listen, guys, this is what I have survived on my entire career. My badge and gun and handcuffs will never be the means I utilize to invoke change or positive changes in the community I serve. My heart, my faith, and love for mankind will always be my unyielding dogs of war. I know you guys came on this job because you wanted to help people. Let that be your driving force, not only in getting bad guys off the street, but telling people the truth. Telling people the truth because we actually do care. That's my message. You are absolutely awesome, brother. Listen, stay on the line for a couple minutes. We'll just say bye to you and thank you. Give us a minute, all right? Guys, thank you so much for listening. It's been an awesome episode, probably one of our best, with Officer Dion Joseph. We want to thank our tens of thousands of listeners, our supporters, HavocJournal.com, Gym Junkies, Vector Shields, WellnessForWarriors.live, LiveBoston617, Eagle Eye Firearms, ODKit.com, GunTrack.app, Law.com. Stay safe. Stay safe, Ian.